NAR does not mandate anything. Yeah. They don't mandate commissions. They don't mandate that structure. But the, the structure that we do have is that you are a member of the National Association of Realtors, the uh, Arkansas Realtors Association, and the local board of realtors in order to participate in the multiple lift, listing service. Right. Thanks for joining us on another REI NWA podcast. This is podcast number 16, and it's going to be a fun one uh, with with Larry Kelly here. Once again, my name is Coley Bailey. I'm an executive broker and team leader at the Lone Rock team at Fathom Realty. And Larry and I are going to be digging into these lawsuits that are rocking the real estate industry right now. There's a, a lot of talk about it. It's in the news. And so we're going to discuss uh, thoughts and try to try to remain civil, even even though we both have some pretty strong opinions on this one. <laughs> Definitely have some opinion. Yeah. So just to kind of lay the groundwork and a, a little bit of an overview, there have been some cases that are going after the commissions, specifically that go to a buyer's agent. There are 13 cases in all right now 13 that are active as of um, as of kind of the beginning of going into 2024 here uh, that have been filed that i could find record of um and they all kind of have their own spin on this but essentially what it seems like is that some attorneys believe they have found a chink in the armor of, of the realtor association here and so the the crux of it i, I think if we could Narrow it down to the crux of the argument is that the there is a rule that the National Association of Realtors has called the Co Cooperative Compensation Rule, um, and it's also known as the Participation Rule. Uh, and this came about in the early '90s, I believe. Is that is that right? Well, you and I talked about yeah. buyer representation right. coming about about '89 or '90. Yeah, yeah. and so. Essentially what it does is it requires a listing broker to make an offer of compensation to a buyer broker in order to place a listing in a realtor-affiliated MLS. That is the key of the entire case. There's only been one of these that has, has been uh, decided on so far, and only by a jury. It hasn't actually been ruled on by the judge. And this was called the Sitzer-Burnett trial. It happened in Kansas City. And um, so now there's a, there's a lot in the news. Uh, there, there are a lot of name-calling going on. Uh, you know, it, oh, it's a cartel, and there's conspiracy, and there's all these, all these uh, really, uh, really fun words being thrown around about our industry. But the core of that case really comes down to the requirement of the buyer agent compensation being included in order to be listed in the MLS. The, the attorney made the case successfully to the jury uh, that that should not be a requirement, that a seller should not be forced in, in, in his terms to, uh, to offer the buyer's agent some form of compensation as part of his listing uh, package with his agent. How, how do you far, feel about that? How far into this argument do you want to go? I don't want to go too far into it. Well, I would say, and based on what I know, because, you know, you and I spoke about this earlier, that I was a little disappointed 
with NAR, whom I've been a member of for a long, long time, decades, that um, I really didn't know this was going on. It, it, had, it wasn't discussed. It wasn't talked about. I wasn't aware of it, and I'm, I'm fairly well involved. Yeah. And, um, You've been a president of the, of the local board, the board multiple been, times. I've been chairman and president of the local uh, MLS. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so the way they phrase this uh, is just simply not truthful. Uh, you just phrased it much more accurately in, in, uh, in the fact that NAR does not mandate anything. Yeah. They don't mandate commissions. They don't mandate that structure. But the, the structure that we do have is that you are a member of the National Association of Realtors, the uh, Arkansas Realtors Association, and the local board of realtors in order to participate in the multiple lift, listing service. Right. And it doesn't matter what multiple listing service, but it's within that agreement between brokers of the multiple listing service that an offer of compensation occurs. Now, NAR does not dictate what that compensation is. Right. So when it could be all the way down to a dollar. So when I that 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 was the yeah anyway. We're going to get everybody knew that. I just don't think that arguments were made very well for the complainants, and I don't think that that the legal counsel for the defendants did a very good job. Um, So with that being said, uh, you know, I'm reading articles from CBS and from other news outlets that say that, uh, that, that uh, uh, that they conspired to inflate home commissions. Uh, I can't find any evidence of that. I don't know where that would have come from. Right. Uh, because in, in, in making that claim, and I'm just going to say that it's a claim at this point because I, I don't think it has any factual data to back it up. It's just a claim. Right. How did, how did they conspire to inflate home commissions? There is nothing that mandates a certain commission uh, or percentage. You and I know that because we've been, it's been hammered into us our entire career about Sherman antitrust laws. And so I'm. We don't even talk about specific no. uh, commission amounts. So we don't just, put a digit to it. We, we shouldn't have that conversation at all. You know. So yeah. this claim is just simply not true. Right. It's not accurate. It's not true. Uh, and as president of the MLS and of the board, I can tell you in the past that I've known of no such mandate right yeah <laughs> from NAR I mean it is a policy that it's a members only kind of MLS that we don't allow people from uh, non-members to participate yeah we don't do that it's a it's a members uh, and it's dictated by the code of ethics not so much any right. other sort of, of mandate but the code of ethics says that in order to serve the the public that and to serve the consumer, that we should offer cooperation. And that's how the Code of Ethics is worded. We should offer cooperation. Now, MLS rules and policies say that if we are going to offer cooperation, that we may want to also include our commission structure in that, that we might want to offer that in advance so that the parties involved will know in advance, up front, what the compensation agreement is. Mm-hmm. It's not mandated. Right. So, and, and, and let me just tell you that in reading this information about this, it says that 
uh, it requires home sellers to offer a non-negotiable commission before listing their homes. Coley, that's not true either. Every commission I've ever taken from a seller has been negotiated. It's negotiable. (laughs) And, And, you know, you and I talked about this yesterday as well, and that is that we have some really great listing contracts. In fact, I think Arkansas has some of the best contracts, period, in the real estate industry. But I'm also licensed in Missouri, where this complaint originated from. Right. And uh, and their contracts do as well. When yeah. we take a listing agreement in Missouri as well, it, it designates what type of agency we can offer, as well as what the compensation to that buyer's agent may be. So it's agreed upon at the time of listing with the seller. And so how anyone could think it could be more transparent or how they could be confused by that because we go over that right. and it's negotiated at the time you take the listing. Yeah, This whole thing just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I want to, in this conversation, get into the history of how we got to this point as well. I first want to run through, I'm, I'm going to do a very quick run through all the different cases that are, that are out there. So the first one okay. was that Sitzer-Burnett trial that was in Kansas City. Uh, there's a second one which was actually filed earlier than that one and it is it is bigger uh and it is the merle case um and i can't remember i don't have it written down which state that one was in but anyway i think it's i think that one is in illinois i think merle is in illinois could totally be wrong on that but um then there's another one called Gibson, which is was filed in Missouri from the exact same legal team that did the Sitzer Burnett trial. Within I think hours of the uh, the verdict on the Sitzer Burnett, they announced another one, which of course is bigger, um, and it's it's naming a, another large group of defendants. And so how they're doing this is they include the National Association of Realtors, and then they include a bunch of brokerages. And usually it's the biggest brokerages that they can find uh, because they think that's going to have the biggest impact. So again, that one is based in Missouri. Uh, A fourth one that I found based in Illinois is uh, called the Batten suit. Now this one is interesting in that it is actually buyers that are the complainants here. I don't know exactly uh, what the complaint is there, but it is also a complaint against buyer's agency. So we have sellers and buyers attacking buyer agency for some for some reason here. Uh, so there's Batten 1, and then there's also Batten 2. That's a That was a second one uh, that was filed on November 2nd of 2023. So that makes five. Uh, the sixth one was filed in South Carolina on November 6th. Oh, and I should point out that the Sitzer Burnett one closed the verdict came on October 31st of 2023 and then since that time early November we started having a a bunch more that hit so uh, this one this Burton one in South Carolina November 6th Uh, then we have uh, March not the month uh, last name of uh, home seller Monty March this was in New York City that one was filed on November 7th Uh, we have the QJ team case. This was filed in Texas on November 13th. We had one called Phillips in Georgia on November 22nd. Almost done. That would, that makes nine. Okay, uh, there's a Parker Holding Group in Florida. That makes ten. Um, then there was, uh, let's see, 
the 11th one was Springway Center. And um, that was that's from Pennsylvania. And then Nosalic. Uh, now that one began actually in 2020, and I think this was a this w- was against the MLS Property Information Network and uh, Anywhere Home Services and uh, some of its affiliates like uh, Remax, Keller Williams. Uh, that that was it was filed, like I said, in 2020. So it was one of the earlier ones, but it still hasn't uh, actually come to trial yet. And then we have the overarching to round this out and be number 13 is the department of justice itself so it has had this ongoing investigation into this cooperative compensation rule um, and and a couple of other things but uh, specifically this cooperative compensation rule so we have a wave of these all sort of attacking this structure so let's let's kind of rewind the clocks a little bit and talk about how we got to the structure that we have what okay. is buyer agency? How did this thing come about? Um, because way back when you know brokers started, it was it was it was a much different structure than we have now. Well, as you know, I've been doing this for about four decades. So you've been a few through a few of these cycles. May have seen a couple of changes. Yeah. So you know, coming into the business, um, agency wasn't really discussed very much because there was only one and that was sub agency it was it was an agency duty to the seller okay and if you were working with a buyer you were a sub agent of the listing agency right so both agents were working for For the the seller. seller yes now honestly at that time i probably was not as involved in the mls and the local board and those kinds of things going on I was just trying to make a living and um, but I did understand that we operated as sub agents of the listing company when I worked with buyers but that wasn't always clear to the buyer Mm -hmm. I'll be honest we didn't have any kind of instruction or any kind of uh, direction as far as how to go about explaining that relationship with buyers And I believe as a result of that, buyers started saying, well, hey, look, I want representation. I don't want everyone to be for the seller. I want separate representation. And you said that it came about as as a result of a a lawsuit at that time. I'm not aware of a lawsuit at that time, just maybe new practices, new demands, new consumer requirements. Um, So... Along about 1989 or 90, if I remember correctly, is when buyer agency came about, okay? So buyer agency was something that said consumers wanted agents to have some fiduciary duty to the buyer. Now, fiduciary duties mean that, hey, look, I'm looking out for your interest. I'm going to try and give you counsel and you direction and you information that will best serve you as a buyer. And, um, you know, it was something new. It was something a little different. But uh, buyers already assumed that since you spent eight hours in an automobile with them showing property that somehow, and you talked about your kids and your grandkids and you got to know each other, that there was a relationship that had developed there. They already felt that you represented them, whether it was formally not representing them, 
uh, was never a question, but it was the, it was a fact. Right. So those kind of things, I think, societal, industry-wise, it changed because buyers wanted some counsel, wanted professional representation as well. Yeah. And you know, just and, and then dual agency. Okay. Well, then then comes yep. the question that, well, how do we make that work? What if they come to the listing company mm-hmm. and they want some representation? How does that work? And so, the next thing that happened, although, and I and I see this in some regards being similar as to cause and effect, because suddenly we wanted to develop a, a relationship for the buyer, buyer agency, but. Mm-hmm. No one had thought about what happens when the listing company is representing both parties. Mm. So as a result of buyer agency, it then developed guidelines for dual agency, yeah. where you would represent both parties in the transaction and the rules engaged and involved in that. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? Other, other businesses... With fiduciary obligations, they don't understand dual agency. They don't know how you can do that. Right. Attorneys are one of those. Well, categories. you can't do it in a courtroom for can't sure. Can't do it in a courtroom, but yeah. but I think that real estate practitioners, realtors in particular, do that every day and do it very very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so let's talk about how the money flows through the transaction, okay? Because a seller puts a property up for sale with an agent okay they have an, a listing agreement with that agent that that agent will get a fee for their services right okay that's always been the case even back to the early 1900s sure okay um and that fee has always once a property is under contract and closes the buyer brings the money or the buyer's mortgage company brings the money sure um it's dumped into a settlement statement, and a portion of the purchase price goes to the listing company first. Then, if there is buyer agency involved, which after around 1990, we start that started to be the norm, right. okay? That listing company then is splitting its commission with a buyer's agent in, in order to facilitate that transaction. And it's beneficial for the buyer, obviously, because they're not paying out of pocket extra money for uh, the services of the buyer agent. It's effectively part of the purchase price of the property. Right. It's beneficial to the seller too. And that is the part that I think these cases is overlooking. Uh, because it allows that listing agent to say, hey, can I share this information with 3,000 of my closest friends? <laughs> right. And it's the network. Who work of, with buyers. Who work with buyers, yeah. right? And it's the network that these professionals form with each other. Through the MLS. Through the MLS, but also through personal relationships, too. Certainly. You know, because it it, it happens all the time. I want to show college listings because we work well together we've done some other things in the past and i like working with him right yeah right so there's a reason that it is cooperative compensation that cooperation kind of greases the wheels of the market right and so i think these cases are very short-sighted in in terms of um 
the impacts that that might come from this mm -hmm. and and how it might be detrimental to both buyers and sellers in the future without question and let yeah. me just let me just offer a point of clarification is that that commission that goes to the buyer's agent is not extra it's right. shared yeah and so we're the ones that say we're going to share what we make with someone who brings a buyer right okay we're going to share that it's not extra it's not any more it doesn't uh, it's take not inflated it's not inflated it doesn't take anything away from anything yeah. it doesn't take it away from the sales price it doesn't take it away from anything yeah and and you know what a few years ago we were experiencing something and probably it was happening in other states i didn't realize it but suddenly on our listing agreements we were required to have the seller agree to how we split that fee. And, and you know, it could be that, well, let's just take, for example, um, we had a, a, a negotiated uh, fee structure, a percentage of the sales price, and that uh, if we so desired, nothing dictated how we would share that. So we might share a larger portion on our side, on the mm -hmm. listing side, and a very small portion on the buyer's side. Right. Okay. Well, does that serve the seller? Because you may, although we're not supposed to look at those things in the process of serving that buyer, but you may take away from the enthusiasm to show your property and to help you sell it if there's not a very fair compensation being offered. And importantly, along those lines, it's not just an incentive for the agent. It's an incentive for the buyer. Ultimately, it is an incentive for the buyer because if the buyer is working with a buyer's agent, mm -hmm. they've probably signed an agreement called a buyer... Representation <laughs> Exclusive buyer agency representation, right? Sure. And what that means is that as part of that agreement... They, the buyer themselves, are ultimately responsible for paying their agent, at least in the state of Arkansas. That's what the, the agreement forms says. That I know. Yeah. And so if they buy from, let's say, a for sale by owner that is not offering any commission whatsoever, and the agent represents them in that transaction, they still get paid. The buyer has agreed right. to do that up front already. So if a seller offers less than, you know, sort of a <laughs> sort of a market rate or something, that agent has a choice to make. Well, the buyer that has a buyer choice has, to make. Well, the that, buyer yes, the buyer has the more difference. of the buyer has more of the choice to make. Right. right? Yeah, and, and the agent's responsibility in that is to relay that to the buyer and say, "Hey, Certainly. this is a great property. It seems to fit all your criteria. I'd love to show it to you. Just so you're aware, they're offering." whatever amount and that means there is a difference of whatever amount and you're going to be responsible and you'll be that. responsible for that in my dealings with this i well first of all during covid when things got really crazy and you know prices went crazy uh, inventory was really hard to find we had several builders that started doing this started lowering that lowering that amount and when i brought this to my buyer's attention several of them passed on the entire operation and there were many homes that were under construction that would have been wonderful homes and they passed on these builders for that specific reason but i gave them that choice right 
as the buyer agent. Yeah. And, and Kelly, I feel like as I read through this information related to the complainants and the defense and, and how this is structured and what the perception is, mm-hmm. is that I don't think any of the parties understand what we do. Exactly. And, and I agree. I think that there are going to be some really bad unintended consequences to this. I don't think it's going to result in uh, the desired effect that they're, they're, take, they're thinking yeah. that it is. On that note, we're going to take a quick break <laughs> uh, for our sponsor. Uh, but right after that, we, we're going to get into what we think some of the potential outcomes might be of this and how this might affect you as an investor. Are you struggling with real estate code compliance? Let Ordinal, your AI navigator, simplify it for you. Receive clear answers to your nuanced compliance questions in seconds with citations included. Currently, the Ordinal beta version specializes in the Northwest Arkansas cities of Bentonville, Fayetteville, Springdale, and Rogers. Join the beta version now and get your first month free using the promo code REI. After that, it's just 12 bucks a month. Visit breakground.ai slash ordinal or click the link in the description below. Start incorporating AI into your real estate workflows today with Ordinal. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how this might affect the industry. Everyone seems to have an opinion on this. I think there are three broad potentialities. One would be nothing changes, one would be everything changes, and one would be something in the middle. I I think it's going to be probably something in the middle. I don't think the industry is going to be able to totally withstand this onslaught. I just, I I think, I don't think we're going to get out of it totally unscathed and the the structure stay exactly as it is, even though I think the structure is very beneficial as it is. But I think our defense, I just want to be (laughs) careful how I say that. Um, I I think it's it's obvious that... uh, we failed in in the courtroom to to uphold this and to, and to explain it. And, yeah. and, and, you know, in defending our position, our current position and how we work, I think it's very consumer-centric. It is not commission-centric. Right. Right. It is consumer-centric. Yep. And, and that's the reason it evolved in this fashion. Um, our fiduciary is to the parties that we serve, and I think we're doing a really great job of that. Now, if someone, well, and I'm going to tell you just personal opinion. I don't think that these, I'm, I'm surprised that they got 500,000 people to sign on to a class action suit saying that they were wronged and didn't understand. Right. I think that it's indicative somewhat of the law that that we are currently in the middle of, and that is um, you can sue anybody for anything. Right. And, and I'm really disappointed that Remax and one of the other ones settled hmm. because it was the most, it was the easiest thing to do. Yeah. It may have been the most financially beneficial thing to do. And, and you know what? That's the way lawsuits work. Sometimes it's just a matter of business to say, yeah. I'll just pay them and let's be done. But I think this is worth fighting for personally. I think it's worth fighting for, and I think uh, there are so many cases coming up that you you can't settle them without going bankrupt anyway. Don't set the precedent of saying we right. did wrong, right? Because we didn't do wrong. No. Yeah. So, but I don't think 
we're going to be able to skate by with without some type of change. Now, you know, the everything changes camp. There, there are some people saying, look, the Department of Justice is going to come in here and they're going to cut this commission totally. They're going to say, you can charge a listing fee over here and you can charge a buying fee over here and the buyer pays for the buying fee and the seller pays for the listing fee and neither party can even compensate the other party whatsoever. And that's another great example of someone trying to regulate an industry. They have no idea how it functions. Right. They really don't. Yeah. They don't understand. And I think that would be detrimental, especially to buyers, but it's also going to be detrimental to sellers because if a seller wanted to incentivize somebody, if they wanted to incentivize their buyer, what better way than to cover their, one of their largest closing expenses, right? It, it, it's a phenomenal incentive, and it should be seen as that right now even. That's what it is. It's an incentive for the buyer. And there yeah. are some rules and regulations, as pointed out in some of these reports, that, that prohibit the buyer from financing in exactly. an additional fee. Right. There, there are some loan programs that – and besides, do you want to pay interest for 30 years on the agency fee that you agreed to pay? That mm. would be kind of foolish. I, I believe there's right. this is rife for unintended consequences. And no matter what they come up with, I think they're going to have to walk some of it back. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because it ain't going to work. I feel like it, it probably will land somewhere in the middle where it's just very apparent to sellers that you have the option. I think it will be optional that um, you can just pay your listing fee or you can also. I, I think it probably will end up being split up but optional. And I think at the end of the day, most sellers are going, the market will bring it back to something very similar to what we have right now. But golly, as I've said in the listing agreement, it's always (laughs) been optional as to what agency uh, you're going to allow to cooperate with and and what that fee structure might be. It's always been optional. That's the reason I think this is a bogus suit. Yeah. It really is. It's all about winning fees rather than satisfying some ill. Right. And and if this was such a terrible, terrible system and structure, why has it taken since 1990 to bring this up? Yeah. Was it so bad? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Who's aggrieved? I gotta fig- I gotta understand yeah. this better. Well, I, I'm trying to understand. Do they do they think that commissions are just going to get cut in half? And that's what's going to happen. And buyers are going to be happy not having agents. I, I mean, can't understand what, what the outcome is that they're what, looking for. What are they, I mean, because that is the only thing I can think of if they're saying that commissions are inflated, which they haven't even changed that. <laughs> if to be inflated, they would have had to have gone up, in my opinion. Right? You know, Kelly, I've been in this business a long time. I've seen lots of different business models for real estate companies. Yeah. I've explored some different business models and splits with agents myself. Mm-hmm. My company and the company that you're affiliated with have different compensation yep. packages for their agents. They may offer different services than I do. That is the reality of our industry. Yeah. We're, we're friendly competitors. Right. And, and no one has dictated how your operation runs or how my operation runs. Right. But the reality of business is that you have to cover expenses, okay? And, and, and you're in business to maybe make a profit. That's a good thing. Yeah. 
And so there are some basic policies that you have to implement and fee structures you have to implement to cover the cost of running your business. Mm -hmm. You just have to. That's just business. And so if I say that my fee structure is this, it's because the business model that I've chosen requires this amount to pay the bills. Right. Okay. Uh, Or we're going to offer some different advertising or we're going to do this and Mm -hmm. offer different services. You know what? I Anyone that doesn't look at the real estate industry that way has no understanding of it because it is the most free enterprise approach oh, yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, we have everything from really small flat fee companies to full service, expanded service companies that Absolutely. Do, you know, do all kinds of things. And so... Yeah, and now here's the other the other aspect of that is not just the the cost to be in business as a broker, but it's also the market because there are many many home sellers who take these listing agreements who go into these listing agreements and they agree to different amounts. But here's the other thing that's crazy to me: I can't imagine that every uh, listing that was in in all of these lawsuits are for the same amount. Of course, they're not. for all different amounts all over the place. Of course, they are. So how can you say that there was collusion or conspiracy conspiracy to keep them all the same? Because they're not. And you know there was a statement made in a CBS report here. I had to highlight it because it says home sellers have long grumbled about having to pay commission to a buyer's broker. And I had to add, said no one ever. Uh, I've never had anyone object to that. And like I said, because we get it dealt with up front. We tell them how we operate. We tell them how we market. We tell them where the fees go. This Well, now that there are headlines about this... They're probably people are going to ask more questions. Yeah, there are going to. It is going to pique uh, people's curiosity. We are going to have uh, these conversations a lot more. And it talks about in some of these uh, uh, reports that uh, by these folks that don't know what they're talking about uh, that uh, that there was no transparency in the fee structure. And you know what? You mentioned it earlier, but it comes on the closing statement. Yes, it comes in the listing agreement. It comes on the closing statement that they don't know where the money goes. That's BS. <laughs> There are rules and regulations that require that disbursement be transparent. There are multiple disclosures of this information throughout the process. How they could get a jury to to agree with this complaint is beyond me. I wasn't there. I didn't listen to it. I don't know it, but I'm just baffled by this whole thing. Yeah. And. When they're ready, maybe they'll send me in, Coach. Well, I hope they do. <laughs> I, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. I'm ready. Um, okay, so we are going to continue this conversation um, at our main meeting yeah. uh, for REI in January uh, on January 9th, 2024. It's going to be at the Hyatt House in Rogers. Um, doors are going to open at 530, and we're going to get started around 6. And uh, it should be a lively discussion. <laughs> well, and, and I know that Kathleen brought this up because she felt it was something very important in the marketplace that real estate investors needed to know about. Right. And so we'll get a little bit more into how that might affect the marketplace and, th- and questions to ask and, 
and 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 things to talk about. Yeah. You know, um, that if you've ever been confused before, let's bring some clarity to that conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So come see us January 9th at the Hyatt House in Rogers, 5:30. We'll see you then. Thanks, pal. Man, this has been good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you on the next one. All right. <laughs>